stay with me back there uh, on the button, and we'll move through some slides from Jeremiah. The chapter is chapter 2, where it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, a.k.a. Yahweh, a.k.a. Jehovah, who we sing about, a.k.a. Adonai, as in uh, the Bible Doug was reading from. But thus says him, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is Yahweh? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherd has transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not prophet be appalled O heavens at this be shocked be utterly desolate declares Yahweh for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and have hewn out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water now, you may not want to aim in that. There's even more. It gets uglier than that. Get to, got a few more of those verses coming later. Last week was Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, we you may remember some words we read from a letter from Paul to Timothy. And in the letter, he reminded Timothy a little bit of his own roots. You might recall when he said to him in the beginning of the letter, in the first chapter, he said, I am reminded of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, which I am certain dwells in you. Timothy had a heritage. He had a mother who also had a mother, and they had raised them in the way that God intends people to raise kids. Timothy was lucky. Paul reminds him of that. And then in chapter 3, I think I actually have this one for you. He says this to him, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. You're acquainted with it, Timmy, because you learned it. I know you learned it. I know who you learned it from. And what's the admonition there is um, continue in it. Continue. Like, don't just, you know, get bored with it and stop. Or discontinue, I guess. It's the direct opposite. To, to cease from it. T 
Timothy, of course, had a great advantage in life. A great blessing that he was given. Because Timothy had a heritage. So the guy had roots. And Paul knew this and reminded him. Not just any roots. I mean, you could say, well, everybody's got roots. Timothy had Christian roots. Do you realize just what a great advantage it is, what a gift it is, if you have Christian roots? You shouldn't take it for granted. There are parts of the world, of course, with none of that. I mean, it's, in theory, it's possible that there would be someone in here who could say, well, I don't have any kind of Christian roots whatsoever. In theory, I say, it's possible. In practice, it is just not likely. Not likely, I say, because of where you live. It just makes it not as likely. It's far more likely in other parts of the world. There are places where people, we could really say that some people in, in the world still have no trace of any Christian roots. They just were untouched. And there are a few segments, I think, now of our own society. Uh, there are pockets and places uh, that, are, that have been thoroughly enough secularized within over enough generations that you would find people who really have so little in the way of roots other than the culture itself, uh, which are somewhat inescapable. And we'll get to some of that in a second. But for nearly all of us, and really millions of people all over the world, uh, they have something, maybe not to the degree that Timothy had it, but they've got some kind of Christian roots. It's not utterly, thoroughly foreign, as if, as if a Christian way of seeing the world and the Christian, the biblical understanding of God is brand spanking new and never has been heard before no recognition whatsoever now Israel's roots were obvious weren't they? quite obvious as we read uh, in the passage earlier I mean Israel had all of this going for them already Uh, so God had made this nation from one forefather and had rescued them out of certain slavery and had led them and had protected them and fed them and guided them to land which he gave them. And all of this they knew. All of this was passed on. He gave them leadership. He gave them the law, as we heard in that passage, right? The Torah of Adonai. That was a gift to them concerning the mind of God. How just to codify what their conscience may have sort of told them already about what is right, what is wrong, and then in some detail about how to construct their lives, even you know, even in terms of civil law. I mean, Israel was theocratic in that sense, so God had given that to them. They had priests, they had a temple, a way to handle their sin and deal with it sacrificially. They had prophets, people would warn them. They had voices of reason and uh, reminders to come to them. The written word. I mean, no one in Israel could say, well, we just, we just, he hasn't given us enough light. Nobody could say that. They had a heritage. They were the, uh, I mean, no other nation had that, right? No, we can't think of any nation ever that had that to that extent. So you could say Israel was indeed the most privileged people on earth. And they were supposed to use that then to bless the other nations. That was the idea. They were supposed to take all that light they had and they were supposed to be a light to all the Gentiles, That is, which is just to say everybody else. Everybody else. They were supposed to do that. That was by design. And yet with all of that that they had going for them, we have to read something like Jeremiah chapter 2. 
and lots of other places that you know have similar unpleasant things that we read. And God, of course, in these passages, has to pronounce judgment on them. He's got to tell them that, as he says in that passage, that they've made his heritage that he gave them, they've made it an abomination. They've gone after, he says, worthless things, and having done so, become worthless to that extent. Particularly worthless to that mission. How are they going to be a light to the people of the world when they've run after all of these worthless things? They can't fulfill that purpose. They are worthless for that purpose in particular. Well, you know, there's sort of a common story that we tell. Christians tell the story all the time. And it comes up in any place where Christians are gathered for prayer meetings to pray about people. And the request will come across the line of somebody, and often it's, often it's a younger person, it doesn't have to be. And it'll be for somebody who's gone off the deep end. It'll be for somebody who had a wonderful upbringing, was raised in a Christian home, or raised in this church, or however it's worded, you know. In other words, there'll be the prayer for somebody who, as an individual, sort of like the people of Israel, they've had a lot of light, had all the advantages that they ought, that you know few people really enjoy, and yet, um, yet they've run off after other gods. They've exchanged one god for other gods, and essentially they've run after worthless things. And the consequence of doing that, well, I mean, for Israel, what's the consequence of doing that? Is it prosperity? Is it peace in their time? Is it growth, health, a vibrant nation? It's the opposite of all those things, isn't it? When they did that. When, with no more blessing, Israel just was run straight into the ground. And, and they became weak, and they became subject to the, to the evil powers of the earth, so that um, along comes Babylon. Or if I were doing the hipster sermon, I'd say, you know, the Death Star of Babylon destroyed Israel's home planet and had to take them all captive. The story turns, and it turns bad. And that was in large part because Israel had, this was, this was a rot from inside. So you can think of a few hundred examples of this, probably, of people you've known over the years. Some of you have been in church a long time. You've, you've known a billion stories of people who ran away and chased worthless things. Does the world have some worthless things in it? it let's, how many worthless things are there that you can choose from to run after, to, to, to go to, to idolize and worship? I mean, how much time do you have? I mean, the world is filled with things that ultimately just don't have a lot of value to them. They've got whatever assigned value you may have given it, or more likely your, your immediate culture gave it. Uh, but that is all, of course, transition, transitory. I mean, some things were once highly, highly valued by everybody in certain societies, and, and uh, you know, we don't, we don't value them very much. And we, we now have other things we, we prioritize. These things come and go. Let me ask you something. Was Israel especially wicked or stupid? Were they especially wicked? I mean, they were especially blessed. We covered that. They were especially blessed. 
Israel had things going for them that no other nation had going for them. They are the chosen people. But would we also say, yeah, and they were also more sin-prone. Somehow, somehow, by bizarre contrast, they were worse off, too, somehow by their nature. Well, there, there has been a strange uh, current, an anti-Semitic current that some people have proffered. Well, Israel was especially wicked, and this has led some people in history to this really bizarre and especially evil kind of notion that somehow those descended from Israel are worse than everybody. Not they, they were supposed to be better than everybody, but because of they turned away, they're worse than everybody. So, whereas we would have praised them more highly, oh, they're the best people, the chosen people. Now we curse them more. Oh, they're terrible. And this is, of course, a, a, a theologically inaccurate uh, and, and biblically corrupt reading of how to understand uh, the, the genetic people of God, if you want to put it that way. That's not right. Paul deals with all of this in Romans, and the book of Hebrews has some things to say about it. Uh, Christians have all the cues they need to understand how to understand ethnic Israel. And the ways I just described are, are completely uh, corrupted. Nevertheless, the point here is that Israel was not especially wicked or dumber than the rest of us. And, and frankly, what position are we really in to look back in history and judge them very harshly? Are we really in a great position to pass a lot of judgment on them? God was in such a position to judge them, and he did. And if he would pronounce those kind, this kind of harsh judgment on them, why should I think I or my society is going to escape it? Why should I think there's no judgment coming for anybody else? Are we only is going to treat them that way? He's only going to hold that standard for them. But what about those who have received all kinds of light in the modern world? What about those... With a similar heritage, Israel had a great heritage, but so do many, many people today. A strong heritage. And so individuals can have this sort of divine blessing, these privileged kind of roots, like Timothy, like a lot of us here. And having it, whether as individuals, you can have it as an individual, a family, a sort of a family tree can sort of have this. Entire communities, entire cultures can have this. And all can reject it. It is possible. It's within the it's within the sinful heart of men to just reject it. To look at it and say, you know, I, I think I want to swap this out for other values and gods and priorities and things I think are important. Any person or society can be Israel. Just as however evil we want to say they were for it, however unwise we want to say they were for it, Anybody in any society, in any group, in any family can be just like that. You should never think, well, that was them and we would never do that. Can go after false gods, can exchange gods. That's what the question in verse 11 was, wasn't it? Can a nation change its gods? Yes. You know, Israel was supposed to be a light such that, such that Yahweh would lead people to change their gods. That is... Those that, as Jeremy read earlier, the ones made out of wood. You know, swap them out. They're supposed to. 
And in fact, sometimes they went the other way. They would change their God for the ones of wood. Don't believe me? Here's some more of this chapter that I have for you to read. It gets even better. So look now at uh, verses 19 and following. He goes on. Your evil, he says, will chastise you. Your apostasy will reprove you. For long ago, I broke your yoke and I burst your bonds. In other words, I freed you. But you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Down in 26 he says, As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, who say to a tree, You are my father, and to a stone you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me, and not their face. But in time of trouble, they say, Arise and save us. Where are your gods that you have made for yourself? Let them arise, if they can save you in your time of trouble. We aren't the first people, we won't be the last people, to, to read our Bibles and wonder about judgment and if judgment like this could ever fall on our own society. We were, people wonder this all the time. And they have wondered in times past. People who have been sort of uh, mentored and trained in a Christian understanding of things. A lot of times throughout history you read people and they will, they will because, you know, because they, re they read what we read here. And they would ask themselves, hmm, I, I wonder, I wonder if we're coming in for some, for a taste because of how we've been. It's interesting, there's a famous line by Jefferson in his notes on the state of Virginia, and he's talking about, he, he started talking about the simultaneous uh, great fortune and blessing of, uh, of the people, and at the same time, the evil practices that he sees of people owning and trading people, of which he knew he had been to some degree complicit, having been born into it in a Virginia planting family. And the famous line is, he says, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. In other words, mm, could we be coming in for some? Uh, because clearly there is wickedness afoot. And clearly, it, we're, it, it, is, it is deep. We're entangled here. We're entangled. And man, if it can't be, if it can't be disentangled, if it can't be extirpated, if it can't be resolved, we might bring down some ugliness on ourselves with some of the vile things that happen. Sometimes, you know, the judgment of God is just to let us be, to allow us to bring upon ourselves the ruin that we're actually running after. It's sort of like he says in this passage, here are your gods you made. All right. Let them handle your problems. You want these gods? You got them. 
Let's see how that works for you. Go ahead. I'll just, I'll be over here. So it's sort of like giving them over, which kind of sounds familiar if you've read Romans, where it says that God gave them over to a depraved mind. He just said, okay, hands off, go for it. People are, people are sometimes they, there's a, there's a phrase today where people say, you do you. What you never want, though, is for God to say, okay, you do you. Because you will do all wrong things. It will, be, it will not turn out well if you do you. Because you are a sinner. And you don't know anything. You see, we sometimes say people get together and church people sometimes look around the society. They'll look at everything going on. They'll say, God will judge us for this. But what I'm saying is that sometimes you should consider that maybe what you're seeing is the judgment. Maybe it is the judgment. The, the freedom of people, as to the, the abuse of the freedom of people to just run off and do what they want, to try to alter reality itself, to protest against everything, the, the very, you know, physics and math. To shake your fist at God and say, I don't like the world you've made and I'm mad about it. And so I will turn from you because it's not perfect enough for me here. I deserved better. So you've been replaced. You, out with the old and in with the new gods. And, and judgment is if God says, alrighty then. Have it your way. Israel was sometimes just given what they asked for. And it was always a terrible, terrible result. Are you aware that, that in truth, the entire uh, West, you know, like with a capital W, that is, in the, that is the entirety of sort of the greater civilization that you just take for granted. It's, just, it's the air you breathe. It's everything you assume about everything. That all of it, in truth, most of the deepest parts of it are part of a heritage itself, part of a legacy, a Christian legacy, really. Everything that is good has these kind of roots. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. I was, I was starting to read this book by this uh, historian. It's called Dominion. The subtitle is How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. It was a bestseller for a long time. This guy's a great writer, and he, he says that he was fascinated. I mean, he, he's a, you know, he's a British guy, he's a scholar, and he, he says that he was fascinated by all of the ancient world's cultures, all of their customs, their religions, you know, their worldviews, everything about the ancient world. And, you know, he's grew up in the UK, he's he had this sort of baseline Christian background, but he was not really a believer himself in, in the true, in a personal sense. It just was, but it informed everything. He just didn't know it. He was reading all these things because it seemed more exotic. You know? I mean, the Zoroastrian beliefs of the ancient Persians and Babylonians, and he was reading about all this stuff, and, and the Greeks and all their weird oracles and all the stuff of the Romans and the pantheons of gods and all these mythologies and it was fascinating to him and the way they conducted their lives. But he started to he started to realize that he was 
he was all along he was judging this stuff because everyone judges everything. It's just there's a there there there's a mechanism in your mind. And he was thinking, he started to think, where where did I get where did I get the idea in my mind about how to even view these cultures? And he writes this. He says he was says he was disturbed by a lot of the, the closer he dove into all of these societies. He says it was not just the extremes of callousness that unsettled me, but the complete lack of any sense that the poor or the weak might have the slightest intrinsic value. Why did I find this disturbing, he says? It was because I realized that in my own moral framework, I was not a Spartan. I was not a Roman at all. That my belief in God had certainly faded over the years, had not erased the fact that my orientation in the world was still Christian. For a millennium and more, the civilization into which I had been born was a Christian one. Assumptions that I had grown up with about how a society should be properly organized and the principles that it should uphold were not bred out of classical cultures of antiquity, and they were certainly not just human nature. They were distinctively of my civilization's Christian past. So profound, he says, has been the impact of Christianity on the development of Western civilization that it has come to be hidden from our view. That's that's an interesting take by somebody who's not who isn't necessarily one of us. I don't know his I know the guy's actual spiritual set of beliefs, but this is a realization that did certainly hit this guy square on. And it's something that we're sort of just it's sort of veiled from us now. We've come so far. And I wonder sometimes if some of the people in Israel at the time in which Jeremiah wrote were like that. If some of them had sort of just forgotten that it was the Torah that gave them their deep sense of a just world and how people should be regarded and that people have a certain basic fundamental value. That was not human nature that gave them. That's, that's something they just evolved naturally to believe. And the prophet has to sort of shake him a little bit. And, and Yahweh has to speak through his mouth some very harsh words and say these things to them, to come back to your roots, to just be reminded. And those who were still upright, you know, it's, it's constantly the reminder is needed, is it not? The reminder Paul gave to Timothy, I know who you are, Timothy, you know who you are, and I know your roots, and you're very fortunate, and not everyone is as lucky as you, so my command to you is continue in those things. Well, that's boring. I mean, like, this is what I've always known. And, you know, there's all kinds of exotic other kind of things. Yeah, and they're all worthless. You see, the people running around, the people running in the, in the hamster wheel out there, like rats in the, you know, the, they're running around. They don't have what you had, if you have that heritage. And they are going from worthless thing to worthless thing to worthless thing. And they can't find anything good. It all lets them down. Christians have the temptation of thinking, I'd like to try the worthlessness for a while. But that's not going to do you any good. 
It will set you back and and uh, it may just weaken you so much that the Babylons of the world can come and just take you out. Or at least take you out for a while. And you'll have to you'll have to be restored again. That's a good word for us. It's a good word for a family. It's a good word for various nations. That we have this gift, that we have this legacy, if you want to call it that. Any kind of roots, you, the roots are down as deep as they've gone, one generation, two generations, three, or even if it's just the culture in which you were raised that informs all these things. So many people today, I listen, I hear the complaints of people today about how we've got to change this, we've got to change that, we need to do better in this. And much of, much of it is correct, but they, I, I wonder how many of them know, and I suspect not many, where they got those ideas, where they got the basic intuition that things should be fair, that things should be better, that people who have this level of strength and power and position should not just bring the hammer down on people down here. And many of the people in the past would say, says who? You know, when Jefferson says, I fear, I fear judgment might come on us, do you, I wonder how many of the Arab kingdoms and the... I wonder, you know, do you think the Mongols ever sat around one fretting about the possible judgment that might come on them for the Vikings? This is not the, this is not the norm. And so the church, even like Israel, has to be called back by sometimes harsh prophetic words. The, the beauty of Israel, the message of the prophets is always that, you know, Jeremiah doesn't end there. The prophets always got around to the, the part of the message that was grace. People think, well, Israel was all judgment back then. No, it wasn't all judgment back then. <laughs> that, because uh, the people couldn't have survived. You think Israel would have made it through their history if it was all judgment? You think they would have made it if God had not given them grace after grace after grace? If mercy hadn't flown down? See, you you got to read all the prophets. And if you read all the prophets, you will see the merciful response of God to forgive them. So it's not just the message. It's not just the old fire and brimstone message of, you know, the preacher gets up and says, You're all sinners and wickeds and God. God's going to judge every last one of you. Let's pray. Like, that's all you got. So you walk out going, we're doomed. <laughs> that's all. like, what did you learn in church today? We're doomed. That's not the takeaway. You know, so whether it's Jeremiah, you know, Isaiah, Amos, Obadiah, you name them. The message is never just, you're all done for. Even in Nineveh, they didn't have that heritage, did they? Nineveh, did Nineveh have that heritage? No, they couldn't say, yours are the prophets, yours the Torah, you have the priests, you have all. Nineveh didn't have any of that stuff. It was a bunch of pagans. And the mercy of God still sent a prophet. And he was, let's just say, reluctant on the job, but he still sends someone to warn them. So the message isn't, the message, yeah, it's a bad deal, doom, yeah, judgment. But if, it, if God was really cruel and savage, he wouldn't even send a guy. He wouldn't even give you the shot to repent. And then he changes his mind. God was more merciful than the prophet, it turned out. The prophet didn't say, hallelujah, they repented and there's no judgment. He was like, oh, man. Was so ready to just watch them all. Yeah, I was all geared up to see some cataclysmic judgment coming down. 
I had popcorn at the. I was ready for this show. Like the disciples. Hey, Lord, shall we bring down fire? You know? Ooh, can I make it come out of my fingertips? We don't have nearly the mercy that God has. So if we were in charge, you say, well, I can't believe it. Some of these bastards are so harsh. I mean, God's telling them all these terrible weeks. I mean, it's just so bad that they're... Why is he so... If you got the power God has, you think you would show more mercy? I doubt it. And uh, with no, you know, no offense to anybody here, but I wouldn't take that bargain on a bet. I, if, if God said, I will allow any of you here to be God for a day... Now, see, I'm, I'm, I'm in hypothetical blasphemous waters here. But just roll with me for a second. I wouldn't take the deal. I, if I were you, I wouldn't take the deal. And I certainly hope that God doesn't follow through and let you do it. God will have ultimately more mercy. He's more capable, naturally, of more mercy than any of us would show. And thankfully, he extends it always to his people to us, to the church, to the world.